If you will, take, me, take your Bibles and join me in reading from the book of Acts. And today we're starting with verse 1. Acts chapter 1. Now, the author of the book of Luke is Dr. Luke. And the author of the book of Acts is Dr. Luke. And so in this period of church season, we're going to talk about the family of God. The church that the Lord Jesus Christ died to create, empowered by His Holy Spirit, is the family of God. Within that family of God is your biological family. So we're going to talk about both. We're going to talk about the church in God's house and the church in your house. I've got an illustration coming up here pretty soon. This is just to kind of tease you and make you wonder what it's about. In Acts chapter 1, Luke begins by writing to one called Theophilus. Now Theophilus is also the receiver of his gospel, and he uses the term most excellent Theophilus in Luke. Perhaps by now Theophilus has become a Christian. We're not sure. But Luke is continuing the gospel story and the person of Christ with us through the Holy Spirit through this book called Acts. So Christ Jesus comes to us predicted in the Old Testament according to Luke, the gospel of Luke. Came to us, lived among us, was baptized by the Holy Spirit and began his ministry. Many miracles were performed. He was falsely accused and crucified on a cross. He did not stay in the grave, but was resurrected on the third day. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to many of his followers, his disciples, particularly to the twelve apostles. There were only eleven right after the resurrection, because Judas went out and hanged himself. And so the book of Acts talks about, in chapter 1, the replacement of Judas with one called Matthias. So on and on, in chapter 2, we see the descending of the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus. So in chapter 1, Jesus is going to speak to his apostles. He's going to ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit descends upon all those believers as Peter is preaching the gospel. And then we follow the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit in the family of God called the church for the next 28 chapters of Acts. And Acts ends with an adverb. Look in chapter 28, the last word of your Bible. Acts chapter 28, and the last word. It may not be literally your last, the last word in some of your translations, but um, what is the last word in the book of Acts? It's an adverb. 
It, he's talking about the Apostle Paul and his ministry in Rome and saying that Paul continued to preach about the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, what? Unhindered, big word. That's the theme of this book. How many of you have read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey? Nobody. Well, it's published back in, what, 89 or something like that. But anyway, one of the seven habits he observed was highly effective people begin with the end in mind. And I want to begin this series in Acts with the end in mind. Unhindered. The unhindered gospel of Jesus Christ going forward into the world. Because Jesus said, I will establish my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. It will be unhindered. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day that he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders, orders, orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then gathering them together. Now that word gathering them together, that word gather is ekklesia. It means church. We are a gathering. The church is a gathering. We are the people of God. We are the people of the resurrection who gather together for fellowship, worship, Bible study, ministry, and missions. That's what we do together. And so Jesus is always calling his church together. Gathering them together, he commanded, you saw the word ordered, now you see the word commanded. He commanded them, lost my place, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now that happens in Acts chapter 2. When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? The Jews thought the kingdom of God belonged to them, and they really thought Jesus was still going to establish some kind of earthly kingdom. But Jesus switches the the subject and begins to talk about an eternal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my martyrs. How many of you is translated witnesses? Mine says witnesses, but the Greek word is martyr. Martyr is translated witness. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently at the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white 
clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come. He'll come again in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. So what are we to do until Jesus comes back? What is the church, the people of God, to be doing until Jesus comes back? We have our marching orders from the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 1. So one thing we need to be sure of until Jesus' return is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Look at verse 4. When he gathered them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You've heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus speaks about? When the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, the Spirit of God guided the Lord Jesus and directed his life. And the fathers gave him an identity. He said, this is my beloved, what? Son in whom I am well pleased. When you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you invite him into your life. Jesus literally comes to live in you through the Holy Spirit. Paul explains that to us in the book of Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your body, the Spirit of God dwells in your body, dwells in you? And so in that sense, you are immersed into Jesus Christ. And the symbol of being immersed in Jesus is baptism itself. When we baptize someone, we put them down under the water. It's called total immersion. And then we bring them back up out of the water. You do not receive the Holy Spirit in that water experience of baptism. You receive Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit of God when you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take charge of my life. And there's the key word. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me my sins. Save me and be Lord of my life. And when you do that, God answers that prayer. Now you are immersed in Jesus. Baptized. Now you totally belong to Him. Now He literally lives in you by the power of His Holy Spirit. That's called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I know that many people talk about, we got, I got saved on the 12th and I got baptized by the Holy Spirit on the 20th. And what they're talking about is a glossolalia or a tongues experience called baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are many denominations that, uh, uh, that are preaching and teaching that. But what you find in the Bible over and over again is the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you when you receive Christ in you. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now there will be times in your life when you allow Christ to rule and reign in you, and there are times when you say, Now Lord, you just take a back seat. I'll do this my way. That's when you're not letting him be in charge. But when you're letting Jesus be in charge of your life, 
to give you guidance and direction, just like the Holy Spirit gave Jesus guidance and direction when He came to dwell upon Jesus, uh, when Jesus, right after He was baptized. The Holy Spirit guides you and dwells in you and leads you as you let Him be King, Lord, number one, in charge of your life. The Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he was talking to people who had already received Jesus Christ and had received the Holy Spirit. But there was fighting and infighting. There was dissension. There were uh, problems uh, in the fellowship of the church of God. And Paul said, look to Christ, worship together, sing spiritual songs together, encourage each other in worship, and be led and be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled or baptized by the Holy Spirit. Just like this delicious glass of water is filled with water. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to be controlled by the Holy Spirit means that you are unhindered. Here we go. Watch that word. You are unhindered. You are released from the temptation of sin and have power through the Holy Spirit to overcome what's trying to distract you from following Jesus Christ. Unhindered Christians are totally immersed in Christ. That means my mind, that's the rational part that I think with, the logical, the calculating, the thoughtful, the wise thinking of my brain, my mind, also, my emotions, that's the first part of me when I was born, was in control of my life, my emotional brain. Sometimes that littlest part of my brain, which is the emotional part right back in here, is still in control. It's in control of my appetite. It's in control of my motives. It's in control of my uh, eating. It's in control of my anger. It's in control of my fears. It's in control. It's giving me all kinds of feelings instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, which gives me peace, joy, love, etc. So there's a battle inside of us for that feeling brain to be in control and the Holy Spirit to be set aside. But when you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, when you're filled every day with the presence and power of Christ, when you begin every day saying, Lord, you be control of this day, then you're being led by the Holy Spirit, both your mind and your emotions and in your heart where you make your decision. Unhindered Christians are immersed in Christ every day. And that's an act of the will that we need to do every day. Lord, you be in charge of my life. We are also conducting ourselves like Jesus. Would it make any difference in our behavior, our choices that we've made, if we were not filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, Francis Chan, who is a very popular discipleship pastor, says, If we woke up tomorrow and discovered that it's not true that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, most likely our lives wouldn't look much different. That's a pretty strong indictment. In the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, the students of that day, and I want all the students to pay attention to this. This is, this is a challenge. In the days of our Lord Jesus, 
in the region of Galilee where he ministered, there were very zealous Jews who had lost a war to Rome, but they were holding on to the Bible and their traditions and so forth, and education was number one. In fact, sometimes the first word a child would speak would be something from the Bible, something from the Torah. That's how infused the Word of God was for their children. By the age of 10, anybody here 10 or under? By the age of 10, they had memorized the first five books of their Bible. Everybody didn't have a Bible. Everybody didn't have a scroll. They went to the synagogues to listen to the scroll being read to them day after day after day after day. That's what their school uh, subject was. And by the age of 10, they had it memorized, the first five books of the Bible. And that's called the Pentateuch. Five books, Penta, five. The five books of the Bible at age 10. How much of the Bible have you memorized? Can you imagine that kind of education? Now, out of those brilliant kids that could memorize the first five books of the Bible and could recite it, out of those were chosen a few called um, the brightest and the best. And they were called uh, Talmud, means disciple, Talmud. Those very few best and brightest students at the age of 15 uh, were able to choose a rabbi that they would study with for the next 15 years. And when they selected a, and this is very important, watch what's going to happen here. When these students at age 15 selected a rabbi that they wanted to learn from, the rabbi would challenge them intellectually. He would challenge them whether or not they could keep up with the rigors of learning all the laws and the words of the Bible and, and Hebrew, etc. And were they faithful? And when the rabbi felt they were ready to be his Talmud or disciple, he said to these 15-year-olds, follow me. Follow me. Jesus met some young adults out there fishing and he said to them, what? Follow me. Jesus found a tax collector and he said, what? Follow me. Jesus found some people at the ordinary work and he said, follow me. Come be my disciple. A disciple in that day, the Talmud, didn't just learn what as a student, you know, what the rabbi knew. He wanted to emulate everything about that rabbi. He wanted to become like his rabbi. And when Jesus called his disciples, he said, Follow me and be like me. How in the world can the church today, you, me, individually, be like Jesus Christ? On our own, we can't do it. And that's why Jesus lives in us in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we must allow Him to be in control and fill us up every day so that there's nothing in us but Jesus. That's why we need to be aware of our sin and confess our sin so that there's nothing in us but the presence and power of Jesus Christ.
have a glove. I saw a preacher do this. You might have seen it before. Here's this glove. I'm going to lay it right there. And I can give orders to that glove, and I can say to that glove, all right, glove, I bought you from Dow's Hardware, which I did right down the road here in Garrett. I was in there yesterday, and uh, where are you, Carrie? Carrie was in there, and I said, Carrie, am I in Guston? No, no, he said, you're in downtown Garrett. Well, that's where I got this glove a few months ago. What if I said to this glove, I bought you, and I'm in charge of you now, pick up that Bible. Glove doesn't move, right? What if I preached hard to the... Hope not, yeah. <laughs> Be kind of spooky if you did, wouldn't it, Bill? <laughs> Bill's ahead of me already. But what if I preached to that glove and said, you ought to pick up that Bible. Shame on you for not picking up that Bible. I bought you and I made you and I'm in charge of you. Now you pick up that Bible. Shame on you if you don't preach, 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 preach. And that glove just sits there. I know what. That glove needs some Christian fellowship. Let's get him involved in some of the activities of the church. And let's get him some fellowship. Now, come on, glove. You've been hanging out with other Christians now. Pick up that Bible. And the glove says, you know, I kind of like hanging out with these other guys. But if I pick that glove up, and the glove lets me put my hand in it, and my mind says to that glove, I'm in charge, and I order you to pick up that Bible. He picks it up, does what he's commanded to do. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be, to become, to do what we were uniquely gifted to do by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So that leads me to the second point. We are to follow His orders until He comes back. We are to follow His orders. In verse 7 and 8, He said, It's not for you to know the epics or the times which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Power and authority comes through the Holy Spirit of God. And a disciple of Jesus will say, Lord, fill me up that I might do the ministry that you have gifted me to do. Not in my strength, not in my power, but by your presence and by your power. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul talked to the church there and he said, this, this power is Christ in you the very hope of glory. And for this purpose also, he said, I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. It's the presence and power of Jesus that we are able to share the gospel with others. It's the presence and power of Jesus that we continue to minister to other people in Jesus' name. It's the presence and the power of Jesus in us that we are able to follow faithfully the orders that He has given us, that we will be witnesses 
that we will be martyrs. We are willing to die for what God has commanded us to do. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. God said to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Moses has died. Joshua, you are the one that's been discipled and you're ready now to lead Israel into the promised land. I have commanded you to do this. And many, many times in chapter 1, God says to Joshua, Take courage, take courage, take courage. Church, God has commanded us to be His witnesses and to take this gospel into all of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. Have I not commanded you, the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's what's so neat and cool and wonderful and awesome about the Holy Spirit in us. We're not waiting on God to show up. God is in us. And where two or three are gathered in His name, He is in our midst. And His power is greater than any power in this world. So we follow His orders in the power of the Spirit. Never say to God, I can't do that. Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So until Jesus returns, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. We're to follow His orders and the power of the Spirit. And thirdly, we're to face our struggles with courage from the Holy Spirit. Think about what Jesus said. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jerusalem was a local hometown. Judea was more of where the Jews lived. Samaria... I don't know about Samaria. Samaria is where the half-Jews lived. Samaria was the people that the Jews, they, would, they didn't associate with. The Jews didn't want to be touched by the Samaritans because they couldn't go back to worship in the synagogue or the temple unless they'd cleansed their hands if they had been touched by someone from Samaria. Cross-culture is what this passage is about. Learning to make friends who are not your culture and my kind. And then being willing to share the good news of the gospel with them. That's really what the whole book of Acts is about. This cross-cultural challenge that the early church had they were, they were Jewish Christians. They started out as Jewish Christians, but lo and behold, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, the Samaritans, Cornelius and others, and they had to have a, 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 a church meeting in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Council, and they had to decide, can Gentiles be saved too? Can people who are not like us and go to our temple and go to our church and look like us and have our heritage, can they be saved too? And then they made a decision. And they said it seemed good to us and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that the gospel is for everybody. Not just me and my few in my house. So those are some of the ethnicity struggles that the church struggled with all through the book of Acts. Just as the Holy Spirit gave Jesus direction and guidance, gives us direction and guidance, He gives direction and guidance to the church as well. And we must do what Jesus wants us to do. 
And sometimes there's a price to be paid for that. The disciples were told, don't preach this gospel anymore. The Sanhedrin and the religious leaders said, get out of town, but don't preach this gospel anymore. Kind of amazing to me how they would arrest uh, Peter and some of the early disciples, put him in jail, and they'd have a trial the next day, and then the book of Acts says they beat him till they couldn't breathe, and then they let him go. They didn't execute him. Whew, we got off, we got off light on that one. My, the price that they paid. And we learn from Acts chapter 12 that James, the brother of John, was the first one to be martyred for the faith. All of these apostles died a martyr's death. They paid that kind of price in order to be faithful, in order to be courageous with the gospel. Stories told about a great warlord who invaded a monastery and all the, all the monks fled for their lives except one. And this great warlord had this one monk to come and kneel in front of him and he said, do you know who I am? He said, I'm the one that can run uh, you through with this sword and I'll never blink an eye. And the monk replied, do you know who I am? He said, I'm the one who will let you run a sword through me and never blink an eye. John Wesley was converted along the uh, brethren who brought the gospel to our country. And uh, they had a storm, and in that ship, the looked like everybody was going to be killed, but these Moravian uh, brethren uh, kept worshiping the Lord and didn't seem to be afraid, and everybody else was afraid. And after they made it to shore, John Wesley began to hang out with them, and he admired their courage and their bravery. And he asked one of them, what gives you such courage in the storms that everybody else is frightened and afraid and you're just calm as you can be. And the Moravian brother replied to John Wesley, we are not afraid to die. Jesus is calling disciples who are willing to be faithful and unhindered with the gospel. What will it take for you to quit? What will it take for you to be a dropout and quit being a disciple of Jesus? For some, it doesn't take much. But when I studied this passage this week, I got on my knees and I told God, I am not going to quit. I had to settle it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit doing what he's called me to do. I belong to him. You belong to him. Don't let anything hinder you. Because when he does come, you will hear these words. Well, you hear some words you won't hear. Oh, congratulations, you were successful on earth. Oh, congratulations, you had a brand new car. Oh, congratulations, uh, you, you did this and you did that. No, no, no. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant.
So if there's anybody here today that wants to get saved, invite Jesus into your heart. I have just preached to you a gospel that challenges you to be faithful to the end. Not just to get saved and get baptized experience and say, I'm saved now, I've got my insurance punched, I'm going to heaven. But it's a challenge to follow Jesus all your life. You won't do it perfectly, but the perfect one, Jesus, and His Holy Spirit will dwell in you and walk with you, redeem you, and give you grace every day to be courageous. If you're ready to be saved and you want forgiveness of your sin, you come. You come this morning. Just sit on this front row and we'll pray that prayer together as you give your heart to Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel a gospel that calls us to repent, a gospel that calls us to follow you faithfully. Lord, forgive us when we stray and fall into ditches, we get distracted by the world. Give us courage, Lord, to be like Jesus, that the righteousness of God and the goodness of God will be lived out through our life, and that everybody around us will know for certain that we are a follower of Jesus. We have been saved. We are Christian. I pray for those who are suffering today so deeply and so difficultly. God, that you would be their encouragement to know that you're not looking for success, you're looking for courage, strength, a yielding, a surrender that says, Lord, I can't handle this day, but you can. Father, there's someone here today who needs to be saved. And I pray they'll come forward during this invitation. Maybe someone who wants to unite with our church from the sister church of like faith and order. I pray, Lord, that they'll come today at your leading. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.